Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Uphill Athlete podcast. My name is Maya Seconder, and today I'm joined by Uphill Athlete coaches Carolyn Parker and Nikki LaRochelle to have another chat about being a female uphill athlete. In this episode, we chat about being in the minority in endurance mountain sports and how we deal with these situations. We also talk about the physiological differences between men and women and how to adjust training around hormones, pregnancy, and menopause. We had a lot of fun during this conversation, and we hope you enjoy listening to it. conversations uh, with the goal of helping women gain some knowledge and more knowledge to support themselves in training uh, and build confidence in the mountain environment. Um, we've collected feedback from many women. We found a few common themes, including concerns and frustrations around training and other cultural stuff. So we're going to begin to address some of those topics today and have a short video series. Our first topic, question is this topic of a feeling that women get of um, needing to prove themselves purely because they're women when they're often competing and training and doing things in a otherwise maybe predominantly male sport or world. And, um, you know, we want to talk about those issues that maybe Maya and Nikki have had, where maybe you feel a lack of support, feel like a minority, feel like you have to do more than or as much as uh, your male counterparts. Uh, and maybe some, you know, stories that way that we've all encountered and how we might have dealt with it, turned it into a positive or managed the situation. So uh, Maya, Nikki, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you. As we've talked about before, Carolyn and I, if you've followed our series of some sort, you know, we've talked about even just working with an uphill athlete, being some of the few female coaches. Um, I've been on teams where it's mainly all men or boys, you know, I was a teenager through most of my skiing and just feeling like I needed to keep up, you know, in workouts, um, proving to male coaches that like I was tough enough. I wasn't like the princess. That was a word thrown around a lot in my youth that like you wanted to avoid and just proving that, you know, you are as good or better than your male counterparts. That's, I, that's interesting. You went back to your youth. I hadn't thought of that, but I don't have the same background as you um, so deeply in sport. But what came to mind for me was limitations. Like for instance, I, I have a background in personal training and I remember so many of my female clients would be terrified to go into the weight room. And Carolyn, I'm guessing from what you do, you have a lot of experience with this, but I kind of grown up in the weight room since basically started in high school and haven't stopped. So it feels like a space I'm quite comfortable in, but recognizing that there's a number of women that feel so uncomfortable in that space, it bums me out. I want women to feel better, more comfortable, more relevant. So that was one that just happened to come to mind. I'm curious if you've run into that at your gym or how that looks for you. Oh, you you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a, it's, it's cultural, uh, largely, you know, you meet a woman in her seventies, there wasn't even a, a woman doing a sport, uh, till that woman in her seventies was solidly in her thirties or forties, much less stepping into a gym. I've also had a, was fortunate enough to have a positive introduction to strength training when I was younger and have been getting people to start strength training for health, much less for performance 
early in life and women, it's such a game changer. And yeah, it, a lot of women have come and they've come into my facility, which is a very different because it's mine than like a lot of these other gyms out there. And they're like, thank you so much. I feel so comfortable here. I don't feel intimidated. I feel like I can learn and grow. And it also turns out that my entire staff is female. And so it's like, you know, and we train men and women side by side, but it's, it's, yeah, we, we really try to support our athletes. And we've actually, I've actually found that there's a lot of men too, especially mountain athletes who have a bit of a stereotype or stigma against that strength training world, because in popular culture, it's like bodybuilding and gym rats and a thing that we don't really resonate with, which is not my facility. So it's been really, great to support men to understand that they need it as well and for their health and their performance and mobility so but most assuredly you know women have are the most intimidated and feel unsure so it's nice to be able to support that hugely just speaking further on that i think so many women mountain athletes too but i think just women in general approach fitness so much for like weight loss or for looks and not to be strong or healthy or injury prevention as carolyn just mentioned especially around strength training i mean we were chatting yesterday you can get stronger and not bulkier as a woman and there's so many misconceptions I think it can be really intimidating being a woman going into a gym. I, I mean, I've been an athlete pretty much my whole life and I still have a hard time going into the gym I just joined because it's a lot of men and it's uncomfortable and I don't want them watching me. So I think it's a real thing. And that's not even proving yourself. That's just being comfortable in any type of sport or act, exercise. Absolutely. And, and you know, for me, it, it is a funny little story with like, I started in collegiate cycling. I mean, for actual organized sport, I did sports when I was young. I was the only gal road biking. You know, it's hardly any women because it's a long time ago. And I started climbing over 20 years ago, 30 years ago, excuse me. Um, <laughs> there's another decade. Again, not a lot of women, not a lot of women role models. I was in the, you know, Alpine and trad world. And I kind of just looked to my male counterparts as like, oh, I should try this and I should do this because that was my only sort of, picture to follow. And it was so funny because I was bouldering one day with a really good friend of mine who was more of a high-end bouldering sport climbing climber. Uh, so he was really technically good and technically strong. And I was trying this one boulder problem one day and he took a look at me and he's like, Carol, you need to learn how to climb like a girl. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that is hilarious. Because I was trying to just muscle everything. Mm -hmm. And that actually turned into the name of my women's climbing clinics that I developed like 15 years later, is Climb Like a Girl. But it's interesting how I was even affected as an athlete, you know, by my surroundings before I figured out over all these decades how to harness, you know, my strength and be more efficient and move in a more efficient way. So, you know, it's just that whole world we're in and starting to realize that we have our own um, space and language and ability and support uh, that, that, you know, we can accrue is just talking to other women and having other mentors and women to, you know, help with some guidance. So it's really cool to have all that. Yeah. Carolyn, if I have my climbing history, right, which I likely don't, but if I do, you were at essentially the advent of climbing. Is that fair to say? Like you didn't really have many female predecessors before you? Not really. I mean, there was Kitty Calhoun's a little older than me and she was busy at it. Lynn Hill. Um, and in Europe, Catherine Destevel. But there were very 
few women um, who were in the media and in the world of climbing and guiding and especially even bouldering and sport climbing very few but when you've tapered it down to like alpinism and traditional rock climbing and all that it's like it was just me and the guys uh katie and i met pretty early on and you know climbed and her friends and i worked with chicks climbing when they started connecting with more friends angela haas who has been around forever as well and dealt and was in that same same world but yeah there weren't a whole lot of us back then right so you like yeah. didn't even have really any reference points you were sort of like just at the forefront of this i i would imagine that would be hard Fortunately, I was kind of a tomboy, so that helped. Um, and and I really was passionate about it deep in my soul. Like it was something I wanted to do. So I just stubborned it out for sure. And I, I was a handful when I was younger. You sound, <laughs> I mean, you are. It's just pretty badass in general. I, I just have to say it like, dang. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It was, um, it was a fun time. It, it, it still is a fun life and I have lots of fond memories, so. Um, it'd be fun to actually sit down with some of my dear old friends and, and let them haze me. What do they call that when you do like toast someone, but you like <laughs> a roast, a ro- yeah. a roast. I would love to be roasted because I was a pain in the ass <laughs> in a good way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, oh. You have to be though. You got to be like tough and stubborn to get into these male dominated sports and industries. Like you just yeah. do. Yeah, this question too made me reflect on, I think it was the conversation you two had with Allison where someone had mentioned, one of the three of you had said something about when they're with a male and they run into somebody else on the trail and maybe that person were to ask where they're headed, it would always be the male that would respond. Like the male would ask the male. Like, Mm -hmm. And that was just such a simple example, but it really caught my attention because I thought how true that is when I'm out with my husband, how he's always the one to speak on our behalf. But it also, it made me think about my own behavior and how I was raised and grew up, um, how that affects how I behave and maybe sort of alerting me to what I could change on my own, keeping myself small, not being too overwhelming or impactful. Um, not taking up, you know, too much space in the room. I think we learn this as females. So it's, in a way, I think the onus is on us to try to unlearn these behaviors we've picked up in our youth, if that's resonating with anybody. But that's certainly my storyline, where it's like, where opportunities where I can take up more space and have a bigger voice and stand behind the work and time I've put into things I care about. So I don't know. I think that's such a good point. I'm six foot. I've always felt like I was too big for the room. Like everyone's like, oh, it's so fun being tall. I'm like, no, people look at you. Like I'd always try to be smaller as I, I mean, I think that's also age too. I'm in my early twenties. I'm still figuring myself out and finding my confidence what and whatnot. But uh, I think that's such a good lesson, especially to pass down to younger generations of women. Like we got to just own our, our presence and who we are and so we're not you know having to unlearn like let's just start teaching it early so we're not unlearning those behaviors yeah I, I'm thrilled that that was such a great takeaway for you Nikki and that that is something that you're you're thinking about you know I can I can honestly say um that you know I I'm a bit much for a lot of people and I'm okay with that uh yeah. <laughs> and you know it's it's I it and I'm not like I'm not rude or overpowering or, you know, I'm loving and caring and, you know, want to take care of people and altruistic and all that stuff. But it's like, 
just because I'm a woman, I'm not going to let someone else steal my thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, yeah. it, I don't have to like go stand in the corner. So I think that's a really great takeaway. And, and like you said, your own behavior changes. Like, no, I, I have just as much of a right to be in this space as this man over here. We're all, and maybe even more depending on what the venue is. So, yeah. Yeah. And Carolyn, I would offer women with that personality type. I personally am so drawn to like their self-assurance, which, which I know you have like a certain just comfort with who they are. I think that is just such an attractive quality in any person, but it feels more rare with women. So when I meet women like that, I find myself really drawn to them and compelled by them. So I want to be like you. (laughs) Oh, I do too, honestly. (laughs) Oh, that's really sweet. That's like a nice little warm fuzzy. Well, thank you. I, I <laughs> hope, that, you know, through a bunch of this work, we get to interact more and just kind of share more of that stuff that that'll be. And, and if I could be an inspiration or a help or a support in any way, I love it. Our next question and it revolves around adjustments for reproductive health. So of course, one of the most significant physical differences between women and men is our reproductive cycle associated hormone fluctuations, uh, certain percentages of hormones, ability to bear children, which creates significant need to adjust training, pre and postpartum uh, considerations for training relative to all those hormonal cycles, uh, including the end of our our reproductive um, life being menopause and being postmenopause. So uh, this becomes, um, anyway, we have three, really amazing resources right here. Uh, Maya's had her own experiences. She's younger on the spectrum and still training and learning from a lot of new knowledge. Nikki's a mom and well, I'm older. So I get that post-menopause part. Anyway, why don't we jump in and share some of our, uh, what we've learned, what we, you know, we've adapted and what we've shared with people. Maya, feel yeah, like start? I'll start on the young end. Um, I feel like I actually have the least amount to say on this as I am still learning so much. Um, I was mentioning earlier before we had this chat, how little knowledge it's really taught towards for women for this. So I kind of feel like I'm learning as I go. Obviously I work with a lot of different females as athletes and I learn from them. We adjust training. I think it's great when there's open dialogue. I love hearing what they have to say and their experiences with training and their cycles and whatnot. So I'm learning from them. I learned from Carolyn. I'm sure I'm going to be learning from Nikki. I think it's great. Um, But this is where my age, I feel like, is a limitation for me since I just don't have as much life experience. I'm impressed it's even on your radar. I mean, I I think that the first thing that comes up for me when you bring up this topic is how out of touch I've more or less been with this until it really started impacting my life in a very direct way. But even the, the notion of keeping track of my cycle and knowing a little bit about hormones and what's high and what's low and the different um, phases of a cycle, this is all relatively new to me and new on my radar as an athlete and how these are pretty significant impacts um, as athletes to deal with. And really the onus would be on us to pay attention to this stuff. But I think it ha- as we talked about, hasn't been terribly accessible or in the limelight in any sort of way. So I think this might be a, a newer idea for a lot of women to, to be paying attention to. So I'm glad to hear it's new for you too, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm always like, oh no, I don't know anything. But I think you're right. A lot of women are in that boat of not realizing how much it can really impact your performance. Carolyn, what are your thoughts? Oh, you know, so I get to get like the, oh, because I'm older. It's literally just because of how many laps around the sun and kind of my personality in general and that women's health. Um, and I should say, and then lack of science study and research has been a pet peeve of mine for decades. But you're absolutely both absolutely right. I would say the majority of women don't realize it's not out there that hormones affect their training cycle. Massive lack of education, Nikki, for women such as yourself. Uh, what even the body goes through when you become pregnant, adaptations, adjustments. So, you know, one thing I've worked with a lot of women pre and postpartum, and it, you know, it cheeses me off that someone blows an ACL and gets eight weeks, multiple months of PT, all of this stuff. And a woman goes through a trauma of vaginal childbirth or C-section and is given a baby and sent home without any guidance that is shifting. Uh, so we now have, you know, those tools that women may need pelvic floor, PT, may diastasis recti issues so that they can get back to sport and living their life and not injure themselves. I've had other women that I've talked to about training through their cycle. Women are super hard on themselves when they underperform. And when you are pre set period and progesterone levels are high, you know, there, the, all of the things that happen to our body hormonally, you, you, you just can't, you are not as efficient a machine. You're getting ready to potentially have like a fertilized egg. It's just like to take care of. So the body slows down, you eat more, you're more tired, you have inflammation. And so women are hard on themselves. I'm like, look, what we're going to do. I used to do this to the best of my ability is harder climbs, expeditions. I was going on. I would do my best to kind of map it around my cycle so I could perform when I need to, or, I mean, know how many months and years cumulatively I've spent, you know, menstruating in the backcountry, which is all kinds of fun, but just knowing, all that, <laughs> knowing all that, being able to support women and be like, there's a reason behind all this mm -hmm. and tracking their cycle and understanding it and setting themselves up for success where they can is, you know, it's, it's massive. So there's a lot we can do. And even just having this conversation opens the door for women to be like, it's not just me. Yeah. Right. I mean, even just right now, I have things going in my head. I want to know more about how birth control affects all this. Cause that's the stage of life I'm in, right? Like how is this then another layer of impacting just like the basic science we sort of understand? I don't have an answer. You and I can have a conversation about that. I have volumes of information, so we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah. And I, I think admittedly, the reason I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, which I'm wondering if it's true for you too, is that I didn't really give a lot of credit to what hormones do. Like you, you hear about it and I'm like, oh, it's not really doing that much or this is overstated or people are kind of overemphasizing this as something that's affecting. But a good thing to keep in mind is it's these hormones that are amazingly um, allowing women to grow humans in their body and it grows a placenta, it grows an organ. So to say hormones aren't terribly impactful is not a correct statement. I mean, these are like life altering, life creating functions going on in our body. So it's definitely worth considering. 
I've been that way my whole life with sport. Like, doesn't matter. Oh, on my period right now, who cares? Maybe that yeah. goes back to proving ourselves, right? Yeah. The yeah. male atmosphere, just the way we've been raised. Like, doesn't matter. I'm tough. I'll be fine. Because there is that dialogue of like, you're on your period. Like, that's why you're in a mood. That's why you're weak. So if you're a competitive female, I think we all are. Like, you're going to be like, no, absolutely not. Like, I'm fine. And you don't. Yeah learn why would you learn about something you kind of want to ignore absolutely yeah. no question and i i i can't remember exactly when my whole like it was in phases you know that i realized all the things i've realized through my life and you know it just i i always come from a, a like a scientific place and and i pushed and I'm stubborn and always trying to kick the boys asses, you know, all the things. Uh, and I wouldn't cut myself a lot of slack, but I would at least from a scientific standpoint. And I would read the journals and see the thing and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be tough and they'll be slightly less tough. And then be, <laughs> that was my internal recorder, but at least trying to like, okay, there are reasons mm-hmm. behind why I'm feeling a specific way. And it isn't something that it's just because I'm a girl, you know, and I'm meant, I mean, it is, and there's nothing, but it's not like weaker gender, any of that stuff. Right. Honestly, women, Nikki, the fact that you can grow a human and you give birth to a child, you know, hands down, you know, if you want to talk about the stronger gender, <laughs> I mean, that is a massive feat, yeah. Whole, right? It is. It's amazing. It's really, I mean, human bodies are incredible. Growing a human being in that capacity. And I'm right now about 34 weeks pregnant and I can attest that the hormones are real as I cry almost on a daily basis. (laughs) And it will often be, I'll be sitting there crying and actually not feel any sadness. I just have tears coming out of my face because my hormones are wacky. I'm trying to be gracious with myself. I have to avoid watching videos of like, I went down some rabbit hole of watching videos of children that, that couldn't see and they put glasses on for the first time and they can see their moms. And I was like, I cannot watch That this. would make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Or like hearing aids in little babies and they can hear for the first time. Oh. If you guys want to get emotional, that's where you go. That's where but even shows like American Ninja Warrior make me cry right now. So <laughs> who knows? There's <laughs> the standards are quite low. <laughs> See? I mean, there you go. Hormones. Yes. Hormones <laughs> I know yeah. when we get into our female athletic group, we do conversations about this a lot, but you know, just educating women like energies are higher when estrogen's, you know, high at the beginning of your cycle and drops, you know, towards the end of the cycle and understanding. I think Maya was maybe were you might have been referring to the uh podcast that maybe Nikki yeah, had yeah. sent to Scott the science of hormones and tendons and ligaments, you know, yeah. protecting our musculature. Mind-blowing, mind-blowing information for me. I think <laughs> you're like, what? that makes a lot of sense. That's why I have yeah. tendonitis everywhere? Okay, good to know. <laughs> I'm curious in your studying, like you've kind of done a deep dive in this. I mean, my first introduction was, there was two phases of a woman woman's cycle, which was like, the follicular and the luteal phase. Oh, yeah. 
-hmm. But then it's like the more I dive deep, there's really more like seven phases. I mean, it's very specific and really specific things are occurring at certain times, like the estrogen peaking when we ovulate and then the progesterone peaking in that luteal phase. I think that's right. Where, I mean, there's just like big things happening and very specific things happening along the way. And I'm curious if you've, how that's been for you and your exploration of this topic. Well, it's, you know, I don't tend to go super rabbit hole on a lot of that uh, with athletes because it gets a little overwhelming. So I look at it a little bit more in like that cycle and phase. And what's also fascinating is to understand how this shifts because every woman's different. Right. People have different length cycles. Some people are on birth control, which, and which kind of birth control. And so it starts to change things. So a lot of times I'll ask people again, just like to trust themselves and their intuition. And how does your body feel? If you're, if you're not tracking your cycle, track it. You know, how many days pretty much where are you? Are you at 26? Are you at 28? I mean, I was literally put a P on the calendar, 28 days later, put a P on the calendar. And I started observing that when I was younger. And you really can start to feel like energy shifts. You can feel almost when you ovulate. Um, the lowest energy time for most women uh, is, you know, that progesterone peaks. And then right before you actually menstruate, estrogen just like charges back up again. And so everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then we kind of zoom out after menstruation and we're, we're high performance as the progesterone starts to drop. But some people also have severe PMS and that affects it. So instead of, I try not to get too sciencey, but I do try to encourage women, track your cycle, listen to your intuition about how you're feeling, eat when hungry. <laughs> we do need to think about things like iron deficiencies with women, you know, this is kind of going through all that stuff and giving people that power to really not, it's not excuse, it's self-assessing. And then I'll start to talk to them a little bit more about how it works scientifically if they're interested. And then we start talking a little bit about how adrenals and thyroid and cortisol levels start mapping in there as well. So that starts messing with us too. So why we need adequate sleep, why we don't want to overreach and overtrain, why if we get into a cycle of amenorrhea or REDS, the female triad, they now have all these new terms for it, what's happening there and why we need to correct that. So it's, it's, it's just volumes of potential study in science and research, but it's really great to crack that book open for all of us to start ta- having that conversation with our athletes. I need to ourselves. start reading. Like right now, I feel like <laughs> I've done all this info. <laughs> You've got a lifetime. You remember, it's only because I'm like, I got a few decades on you that I know all this stuff. And I'll just yeah. go catch up. I promise. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's cool. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of information out there. I think too, I was thinking about how I, I forget at what point in the cycle this occurs or what hormone affects this, but maybe it is when you're ovulating, but there's like a 30% more of a likelihood that you could tear soft tissue because of that relaxin hormone comes into play. Like I know from being pregnant, I had a bunch of SI joint pain because your pelvis basically relaxes and it creates all sorts of, of problems for pregnant women because um, there's just this like lax 
in the pelvis. So I was at one point in my pregnancy, couldn't do any running and even downhill hiking hurt so badly. And then somewhere along the way, it completely normalized. But I do know that that hormone comes into play just for women going through their cycle normally. So it's even being attuned to knowing when maybe you don't go do something where you're, you have a higher potential of tearing your ACL or just having that on your radar, even I think like implications like that are important. Yeah. And, and that tying into that, you know, that podcast we had all listened to, uh, the science is fascinating. And then you map in like, okay, pregnant women and relaxing levels go high. I really love that they call the hormone relaxant. Yes. Really fascinating. I mean, because it's interesting because it's, it's systemic too, right? Like it's all the connective tissue in your body. So it's like every, like it isn't like it targets just one area. So that's an issue. It's an issue through our cycle. And then if you add in, if a person is hypermobile already, they have joint laxity. If it's a woman who isn't regularly like strength training, so they don't have as much joint stability and as much stress on tendons and ligaments to strengthen them. Yeah. Then that risk of, like you said, like ACL from that article, that podcast, ACL injuries, joint injuries, tendonitis, like Maya, it all the increase, it's so much higher in women Mm -hmm. from all of that. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We're learning so much these (laughs) modern, even in like the last 10 years, things have shifted and still are. I'm so, I'm excited that so much more research is happening. So we have a lot to talk about. Yes, I know this is such a dense topic. There's so many subcategories. I mean, Carol, do you want to hit on the the menopause zone? Oh my, yeah. Hmm. I don't know how deep we want to go in that, how long we want to record. Um, But I think some of the biggest things I can say for, you know, for empowering women when, when they start getting there is to understand first that we peak for hormone and reproduction somewhere around like age 25. Doesn't mean we can't have children for many, many years, but hormonal peaks in most women around that age. And then it, we actually plateau for a while. And then for women, depending on genetics, lifestyle, all the things, there's sort of a decline that starts in our thirties and it's slow and steady. So we're asymptomatic. We don't realize it. Menopause doesn't just happen. So somewhere in our lifespan, it can be some women start even in their late thirties, early forties, more often it's mid forties and later you start having some symptoms that you'll write off as other things. You'll miss a period. You'll feel a little tired. So the the list of symptoms that you can experience is fairly massive. It's big and don't write it off. It's just like all the other things women do. Hot flashes, night sweats to the point I couldn't sleep, but for two to three hours a night, I had, uh, I've never had anxiety. I'd have moments of anxiety, moodiness, lack of energy, uh, unstable blood sugar. Oh yeah. Vaginal dryness, painful sex, uh, loss of libido. It all happens Mm -hmm. and we have tools. There are ways to manage this, both depending on the individual and their choices from a clinical Western standpoint to a uh, more complimentary, like seeing an ND, you know, some sort of hormonal support, sleep support, getting blood tests done so you know where your hormones are, getting cortisol level checked, thyroid level checked, like 
open the box, find a really good doc, OBGYN team, talk to friends and realize that the reason we want to deal with it now is that we are living longer. So if a woman hits menopause in her 50s, which is like postmenopausal, your hormones are, we have an increased risk in um, cardiovascular disease, bone density issues, certain types of cancer. If our lifespan was normally 45 to 50 years as a homo sapien, there's a reason menopause happens then. But if we're tacking 30 years onto that and we're at higher risk for all these other things, it's a thing that we need to address and support women. There's also nutritional changes to help with muscle wasting issues. I was going through that, uh, increased protein and leucine levels for a postmenopausal woman. So it's big, but there are a lot of tools out there and a lot that can be done. And I always just encourage people, you know, don't just like all what we talked about with younger women, pregnant women, don't downplay it, get some help because there is a lot more information out there. It can kick your ass. And I'll be honest, I was getting my ass kicked for a while, but you know, <laughs> got some help and it's a lot better. So, you know, right. still here, still it doing it. It sounds brutal. It oh, really okay. does. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. But, uh, and everyone is different. Everyone's going to experience it at a different time, different severity, different, 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 which is, I think, one of the other pieces we want to, we want to honor. Some people don't have a lot of issues and I was lucky the rest of my life. I've had almost zero issues with any sort of hormonal thing, training. It was all pretty easy, normal, very little PMS, blah, 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 blah. So I used to tell my husband, yeah, this is what I got for <laughs> like 35 years of it being easy. <laughs> like now it's going to be a little harder. That's what I would say to women. There's, there's help to be had out there. Don't just feel like you have to suck it up and suffer. Because the other piece of all this is like the, the stigma component of it being a very closed door. Yeah. I mean, just it, you don't hear a lot of people speaking to it or vocalizing it or expressing overt concern about this sort of stuff. So, so it's we're really doing true. And women don't feel comfortable even saying like menopause. Like we, we don't talk about that. Or if there's lack of now some kind of worth because you've you've ended your menstrual and you're now you're just going to be an old crone. It's like, <laughs> or what, what am I smiling? No. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I mean, like it's that. kind of funny to think about that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but I think there's like, there's a lot of societal stigma with, yeah. with it. Yeah. So just allowing people to feel comfortable to have that conversation is, I think, super important. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but that was a good chat. What a good chat. <laughs> yes. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about joining our female uphill athlete group kicking off October 11th, 2021, go to www.uphillathlete.com. We would love to have you.